We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them... It's just right for us. The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC's Roundup Podcast. We are back for the 2023 season, and we're kicking it off this year talking about training camps. It's week one. Every team has its training camp going on. In fact, we're as we're watching this, like as we're recording this, the Hall of Fame game is going on in the room. It's a great night. Football is officially, you know, Bruce Nolan's been joking around about all the times football is back. Yeah, football is back when your first player gets injured. Football is back, according to CBS, the first time like someone inquires about fantasy football and who's on their roster this year. Let me see my keepers list. There's a million ways football is back, but right now there is real, I guess, technically real football being played on television, which means it's back. And we're here talking about the first week around the NFL and training camps. And it's weird because when you look at every franchise throughout the division, Every fan base has something, right? Like there's highs, there's lows, and then there's the shit that we're all paying attention to that maybe doesn't matter. Stuff that we as a fan base conflate. Or it's like not being able to see the forest for the trees because you're so busy looking at, well, this guy has to win a starting job. It's it's funny how we all get there, and tonight we're going to talk to all of our guests about all of these dynamics, and we start... With one of our favorites, Mr. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. Scott, how are you doing tonight? Drew, I would just like to say that football is really just the friends we've made along the way. <laughs> that's, that, that's it. That's it, right? It's just the friends that we've made along the way. Now, speaking of friends that we made briefly along the way, I wanted to start this by talking to you about... Jabari Zuniga is officially retired as of yeah. today. Officially he, retired. Do you did, did did you shed any tears? 
I just, I'm not trying to be mean here, but when a guy nobody wants says he's retired, it's really not retirement. It's more forced. I, I don't know what the, the term would be, but it, it sort of reminds me of that George Carlin joke when he talks about the term walking papers and he says, I've been fired many times. I've never gotten any walking papers, never got a pink slip. I just had a guy that came around to my desk and said, hey, you get the fuck out of here. That's <laughs> kind of what happened in Jabari's Niga. So uh, it feels bad because it just didn't work out for him. But that was a really bad draft for Mike, McC- excuse me, for Joe Douglas, unfortunately, at this point. See, you almost wanted, you did the thing I did. Hang on. I hate to cut you off. You did the thing that I did. In fact, you did two things I did. One, you took it to comedy, which is why I love you. You love stand-up comedy. The first thing I did was I thought about a bit from Rich Voss, where he was talking to some hack comic, and he was like, the guy was like, oh, I think I'm going to quit. He goes, who do you quit to? No right. one knows. He goes, if you stopped doing the thing you do tomorrow, no one would know. And it's that like that's Jabari Zuniga. He retired. No one fucking knew he was here. So right. it didn't matter. And then, it's like, I, I quit. It's like, yeah, we didn't want you. We didn't <laughs> want you here anyway. You weren't a part of this. Yeah. That and, was a, but then you was- also but then you also took it to the place of like you're like, look, you said Mike McCagnan, and then you had to correct yourself and go, oh, wait, no, that was a Joe Douglas pick. That draft, it, this this thing sent me down a rabbit hole of Joe Douglas's first draft. It was like, it's been labeled something, like I've heard Jets pundits call it a disaster. Like, that's not my words, those are theirs. Yeah. And you think about what it is, nine picks. Three of Joe Douglas's first draft picks are still on the roster. Like, before the like six players left before their contracts actually expired. The punter you drafted gone. Two second round wide receiver, like the second round wide receiver, he's been traded. Uh, Ashton Davis and Bryce Hall, those are the guys, right? They're backups. They're both bad. They're both bad. I don't think either one of them is going to make the roster. The funny thing about it is the only hope they still have, and it's not looking great right now, is Beckton. It's sad because. Becton has incredible talent. I think if he hadn't gotten hurt and kept his head on straight, he could have been as good or better than any uh, any tackle in that class. But look, he's been gone for two years. He's working his way back. And who knows if if he ever is able to work out for the Jets. So, yeah, that that draft class for Douglas, brutal. And that's where we start. If we're talking about the highs and lows of 2023 Jets training camp, we're going to start talking about some of the lows because we always I don't want to leave you on a low note we're gonna finish on the highs the the low notes right now it's gotta be this idea that Beckton, the like the the only saving grace of joe douglas's inaugural nfl draft he's obviously gotten better the, the last the last couple drafts you guys have had have been phenomenal but the the first class the only saving grace he has is to, it's not he's on his last leg figuratively and realistically and things are not going well he's been up and down correct yeah i don't think he's gonna start i mean anything can happen we'll see but at this point it looks like he's not gonna start so now listen to be fair that doesn't mean he won't get a chance to start at some point 
It just looks like when the season begins, Max Mitchell, who was the fourth round pick last year at Louisiana, is the favorite to start at right tackle. And at left tackle, it's going to almost certainly be Dwayne Brown. So, yeah, right now it's not looking great. I mean, to Becton's credit, he's finally started to change his attitude, or at least publicly. He had been going on social media and pouting, and then he got all mad when they told him that that he might have to try to play right tackle instead of left tackle. And the last time he spoke, he said all the right things. He finally said, I just want to play. They can put me wherever they want. And he was asked if he would demand a trade if he didn't get a starting spot. And he said, I'm not, I'm not focused on that. That's a ways away. And basically – punted on the question so as to deflect. And I think that was the right way to go. Uh, Ultimately, he is probably the most talented overall tackle on the roster, but there's so many factors working against him right now. If he doesn't start the season right away, he really needs to just work hard and bide his time because as we've seen, especially last year with the Jets, Injuries on the offensive line happen very free, frequently, and even if he doesn't begin the season as a starter, he'll more than likely get a shot. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with him, but unless he really kicks butt in camp the rest of the way and does really well in the preseason, he's got a very large uphill battle trying to win a starting job, which is sad to see this many years into his career. You would have hoped he'd be on track to be an all pro at this point, which is what he looked like he was going to be after his rookie year. But right now we're, we're just sort of holding our breath, waiting and seeing. So what else, if there was any low points, because I know that you and Andy Vasquez from NG.com, you're always doing these training camp recaps. You have him on the show once a week. He's always talking about what he sees at camp, what he's picking up on the What are some of the other worrisome signs out of just, I know it's early, but from the first week, what are some things that concern you? Well, so first of all, we do daily training camp reports. It's not just Andy, though. It's also Chris Nimbley at Jets Insider, Antoine Staley from the Daily News, Robbie Sabo from Jets X Factor. Antoine Stanley, my man. Yeah, I love it. Antoine, by the way. I love this dude about food in all the different cities all over the place because Antoine's lived everywhere. Antoine's your guy. You got to go to Antoine. He almost but, had a, He almost had a gig in Buffalo nailed down and he was reaching out to us. We were DMing back and forth about like, all right, well, here's the places you, that you might want to target living if you're going to be covering the bills. And also, like, this is where cost of living is. Here's your wing spots. But I can't wait to get him up here. Like, you were flirting with him online about it. We have to get him up here in November, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. He'll 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 be there. And I have no doubt that if you tell him show up to a tailgate, we've got food for you. He'll be there. He send him the photos from Q42 barbecue. Listen, you can't not show up for that. Listen, he he is a bar bill fanatic. So, you know, he's in. But but the training camp stuff, uh, essentially, the, the biggest downer so far has been the problems on the O-line. Dwayne Brown's been hurt. He hasn't practiced. Makai Becton has been hurt. He's only practiced sparingly. Uh, You've heard about a lot of these guys having a lot of trouble, the defense winning the day, Billy Turner, (laughs) one of the guys who listens to the show, God love him. He came up with the term usurper for Adam Gase, Peter J. Dillard, one of my favorites. 
he he referred to uh, Billy Turner as Turnstile Turner, which seems to be an apropos nickname. Seems right? Yeah, I mean, it sure seems that way. But right now, that's the big worry is that, the, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to be turning 40 this season, and the offensive line looks very, very shaky in training camp. But so that. You- that Training camp, you have to gauge who they're competing against. The Jets have a very good defensive front. We all know that. So it turns out they might be, well, they look bad now. The reality is when you turn them against another team with an average defensive line, they might look better. Um, what, What about the Joe Tipman stuff where it's like Joe Tipman was taken high enough in the draft that I think the talk would be that he is your starting center. But you're going to make him earn it. And yet, by all accounts, he's been kind of languishing a little bit. Is is there any concern on your part that he might not be ready early in the season, at least, to take over a meaningful role in the starting offensive line? Yeah, he's not going to start. I mean, at this okay. point, it's pretty well established. It's going to be Connor McGovern starting again. And I told people this when Tipman got drafted. I said, look, Tipman's a very promising player, and I wouldn't be surprised if he won the starting job. But at the same time, you'd have to favor McGovern because McGovern is a veteran who has done it. He's got several years of experience in the Jets system and all of that. So right now it looks like McGovern is pretty much a shoe in barring something crazy in the Hall of Fame game. Salas said he was going to be playing guys that were battling for different spots on the roster. And Tipman is playing Connor McGovern, Elijah Vera Tucker, Lakin Tomlinson. None of those three are playing. So it leads you to believe yeah. that those three guys are fairly clo- locked in as a starter. I mean, certainly the two guards are, but McGovern, it appears, will be as well. Tipman may redshirt, or maybe at some point later in the season, he gets an opportunity. I think this was one thing that some people were a little frustrated about is that the Jets picked a lot of guys that have upside but are probably not going to make a lot of impact year one. In fact, at this point, you would have to say the only guy they have that seems to be a shoo-in to play at least a fair amount is their first-round pick, Will McDonald. Everybody else, you would say, is more or less a project pick. But at the same time, and you guys can understand this because of what, what's been built in Buffalo the last couple of years, this is what happens when you finally have a roster with talent on it. Yeah. Is that Your draft picks don't have an easy path to the roster. They have to compete with guys who do the job better. And then like you combine that with a coach who goes, I don't have any necessity to put that rookie out there. Why would I? Sauce Gardner, if your team didn't have a desperate need at cornerback, never would have seen the field. They would have drafted him and they would have said, hey, you're going to compete for a spot. Instead, they put him out there as a starter and thank God they did because you found he's a revelation. But now that you have that, any cornerbacks you guys draft are going to be firmly, uh, boundary cornerbacks are going to be entrenched behind DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner. They will not see the field with the starters when the season starts. That's the reality of having a talented football team. And you guys are now there. So then if we can pivot, because this is some positivity, what are some of the things that you find promising about what you've seen and heard from training camp? So by all accounts, Garrett Wilson is killing it again. Everybody seems to think he has the potential to be an all-pro this year. You're, you're hearing a lot about the leadership role Aaron Rodgers has taken on, the chemistry he's been developing, not just with Garrett Wilson 
and the chemistry he already has with Lazard, but also building chemistry with Miko Hardman. You're, you're hearing a lot about, I mean, there was a story the other day that we told on the podcast that uh, Rogers threw a, a beautiful pass for a touchdown. I want to say it was to Lazard and it was beautiful coverage by Jordan Whitehead, the safety. And after the play, Rogers ran over to the sideline and was talking to Whitehead and they were going through the play and it just that level of engagement is what you heard was missing with Rodgers in Green Bay the last few years. And you were hoping he would be that dialed in when he came to the Jets. Now, who knows if it stays that way? The honeymoon is the honeymoon. But you love hearing that. You love hearing that Jason Brownlee, who's an undrafted free agent out of Southern Miss, has looked like. And, and again, I'm going to quote uh, Chris Nimbley, the very big deal of JetsInsider.com. A, a young Stevie Johnson out there in training camp is what he told me. So you guys could appreciate that. Certainly yep. the reason as they say, and in fact, it was funny because he goes, he goes, that's who I, I, he reminds me of. He goes, I'm sure if you look up his uh, dimensions and his speed and all that, it's going to be different. I looked it up. Their 40 time was almost identical and size wise, they're pretty much identical and style wise. It looks like they're very similar. So that's an interesting one. Tony Adams, who was an undrafted free agent out of Illinois last year, a, a free safety, he has stepped up and, and been tremendous in training camp to the point where a bunch of players and coaches were on Kay Adams' show on FanDuel the other day, and they were all talking up Tony Adams. Uh, when you hear about what's been going on with the defend, with the defenders, the, the secondary guys beyond Adams, I mean the corners, Reed, Sauce, and Michael Carter II have all been just tremendous, giving Aaron Rodgers a lot of trouble. And it's funny because you barely even hear about Sauce anymore because it's just a given what you're going to get from yes, him every day. Exactly. Well, that's it. Like It's like the Bills with Trey White. You know he's going to be great. And then you watch the highlight plays of him. Like, oh, my God, this guy, Gabe Davis, almost had this great sideline catch, but Trey, Trey White punched the ball out. And it's like, no, he makes those plays all the time to a point where it's become routine. So you don't celebrate him anymore. Instead, you just do the slow nod where you're like, yeah, that's the guy. That's the guy we have. You have a Trey White the same way we had one. Here's one thing as we close, as we wrap this all up. During a previous podcast this summer, I postulated about this idea that it was maybe problematic for the fact that this Jets team seems to be the most cohesive it's been in a long time. And it comes with the addition of an Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers seems to be the guy who, when you talk to a Solomon, uh, Solomon Thomas, he'll tell you, oh, the locker room's completely different than it was before he got here. And I say to myself, okay, that's not exactly a great thing if you're the New York Jets, because you've got a You've got a quarterback who is very hyper, I don't want to say hyperbolic, he's very volatile. There is some volatility there. He's been protected in Green Bay for a lot of his career. It's not uncommon knowledge. You just go follow, follow Tyler Dunn. He'll tell you all about it. This idea that they've, the media in Green Bay had to coddle him and he was protected. He didn't have, he was never challenged there because they knew who and what he was to their franchise. Now he's here and everybody's gravitating to his energy going, this guy changed the, the culture. He changed this. He changed that. 
on one hand, I go, that's it's rough because this guy's volatile. But I go, also, you're marginalizing the coach's role in all of this. Like Sean McDermott, if I look at the Bills model, Sean McDermott built the Bills. He broke the drought in his first year with Tyrod Taylor. Then they went into a tank year where Nathan Peterman was supposed to be the guy and Josh Allen was supposed to do what Patrick Mahomes did in Kansas City and redshirt on the bench for an entire season. And instead, they were like, Nathan Peterman's so bad, we have to put him out here. I just... And Sean McDermott kind of held the team together through that storm of the 2018 season, which was chaos. And he's never had a losing season since. For Robert Sala, do you think that this dynamic of everyone gravitating towards the quarterback's energy and knowing how quickly those sands shift... Is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? Well, I think it's a good thing as long as Roger stays engaged. Look, yeah. it's <laughs> okay, be- so that's the caveat. No, no, but it's like that with any any star quarterback. Look, when you get a star quarterback, you saw this with Peyton Manning in Denver. You saw it with Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, and you hear it from the players all the time. A guy like that, they're going. They're larger than life presence, right? Listen, there are guys on that team. I mentioned Tony Adams before. Tony Adams, I think, is like 22, 23 years old. Tony Adams probably grew up idolizing Aaron Rodgers. Sauce Gardner, we know, grew up idolizing Aaron Rodgers. He's talked about that, right? Zach Wilson, Aaron Rodgers was his hero growing up, and now he's getting to learn from him and sit behind him and all that. And I think when you have a guy who carries himself like that, who's a legend, one of the greatest of all time, You heard about the Brady effect in Tampa, how they changed the way that they did things with him because it became the Tom Brady way. Okay. And it became the... the, the, I'll buy that. No, no, I'll buy that. I'll buy all of this, dude. Like, I just want to hear it from you. I want to get your opinion. And it seems like you're in on this. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it would be a little bit different, I think, if we... Look, with the Bills, it was a totally different situation since Allen was a young kid. He was coming into a team that had already, like you said, broken the drought with Tyrod and there was a culture that was already built and established there with McDermott and all this. And they sort of built Allen from scratch. And then now you've got this young nucleus. It's sort of a different thing with Rogers. This is part of why I think they wanted him is because they felt like he would change the culture and, and the locker room would be different. Look, this team hasn't had a quarterback that the locker room could really unite behind since Brett Favre 15 years ago, right? I mean, certainly and they did it said, with... And then he sent a picture to a fucking massage therapist. Well, <laughs> no, it was, it was to one of the team reporters, but... Oh, wait, was, a team reporter? That's even worse. That lady wasn't rubbing him down. She was just writing words on a piece of paper. Oh yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not sitting here defending Farms. I know. I understand. I understand. Look, I remember what Kerry Rhodes told me, and you're seeing a lot of it now. Kerry Rhodes said, again, he grew up with a poster of Brett Favre on his wall. So when Brett Favre walked into that locker room, it was like, holy cow! I can't believe I'm playing with Brett Favre. And there's going to be a lot of that with the Jets, and so because of that. His words carry a lot of weight. And you hear stories about how Rodgers goes out of his way. He's like the, the cool kid who wants the nerds 
to be, you know, on his level. So he'll yeah. sit it and, and eat lunch at training camp with the offensive line. Then the next day he sits with guys like guys that were undrafted and are trying to make the team. Like he's trying to bring everybody together and look like anybody, you know, Brady was also a bit volatile in the sense that he demanded, he had a certain standard he demanded. And if you couldn't meet that standard, it was going to get to a point where, you know, you might be in his doghouse and, and you'll probably see a lot of that with Rogers. Obviously Rogers is a more, he's a different type of, of a personality than Brady is, but you don't get to the level that these guys are at without being some type of a personality. So I just think that in a way, this is sort of what this team has been lacking for a while. It gives them an identity and, you know, he's 39 turning 40. Who knows? He said he wants to play a few more years, but he's also said that he doesn't know realistically how many more years he can play because it's all going to just depend on how his body holds up and all this other stuff. But for now, I think it's it's a good thing. And, and look, it, these guys, a lot of them are young and, and it can help them grow as players and as locker room presences as well. Does this mean that I think the Jets are going to win a Super Bowl or something? No. I mean, we've talked about this. I think the most likely scenario for the Jets is that they make the playoffs and then whatever happens from there happens from there. You know how it goes. You get into the playoffs. You see how it goes. But I I think the best place to end this, like, this session is what I just saw in the Hall of Fame game. Who's number 55 for the Jets at linebacker? Because he just had a doozy of an interception. It was one of the nicest things I've seen. The defense looks like it's for real. You're you're shutting out the Browns in the Hall of Fame game. You just had an interception. Now they're going to score at least a field goal, if not a touchdown on this drive to break the game open. It's a great time to be a Jets fan. It's a great time to hate watch the Jets if you think that there's shade and fraud to be had. Where can everybody find you? Because if there's any coverage anybody's going to have, I want them to be focused on you. Where can they find your podcast? Tell us about the website. What, what do you got for us? Well, of course, I appreciate that, Drew. And I would – hold on, Chris. I'm going to need you to edit this for me because I am i can't remember who the hell wears number 55 now. So I want to look it up. Chaz Surratt. Oh, it's Chaz Surratt. Okay. Yeah, so, Drew, it's Chaz Surratt who wears number 55. He's a strange case. He was a wide receiver who got converted to linebacker. So he's trying to make his way, but it's good that he's making plays in the preseason. The Jets clearly have a need at linebacker. So if he can continue to do that, maybe he can make an impact in, in some way. As a a Conda has just scored the first touchdown of the 2023 NFL season. There you go, Jets. There you go, Jets. A Banaconda has the first touchdown of the 2023 NFL season. A true, a true New Yorker, by the way, ah. from from Brooklyn, New York. Where, uh, so, so where can we find your show? Where can we follow you on social? So the show is at iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, anywhere that you download podcasts. The show is daily. We have daily training camp reports uh, seven days a week, even in the off season, throughout training camp, everything. So check it out if you want to get a more in-depth idea of what's going on at Jets training camp. And if you're a Bills fan, you should want that because 
that is something that it's sort of a know your enemy kind of thing. <laughs> uh, we've got playlikeajet.com, our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash playlikeajet. Our newest video is on Jason Brownlee, who is a wide receiver from Southern Miss undrafted, who I just talked about before. Uh, he's kind of taking training camp by storm. So if you want to take a look at him, uh, you can follow me on social media at playlikeajet1. And I will say that Chris, I believe, was the one that joked with me that the idea of the Jets winning the division over the Bills would be like saying Los Bariquas was better than DX back during the Attitude Era. And I have to say, I don't see it that way. I think it's more like DX and the Heart Foundation. And I think you can throw the Dolphins in here, too. Heart Foundation. This year, you're going to have the Dolphins, the Jets, and the Bills are all going to be in a tight race for that division. I'd favor the Bills right now, but... It's going to be close. This is probably the most overall competitive the division's been in a while, and it's going to be fun to watch. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so now we pivot. And we do, we bring in a fan favorite, good friend of ours, Mr. Christian Simonelli, as we move on to the New England Patriots and we start talking about Patriots camp. But just before that, new dad, you're just soaking it all in. You're, you're still in the early stages where kids are cute and fun. Isn't this amazing? Christian, like, isn't this like the best? You know, everybody says that this is the best time and it's it's true. And you don't know until you're in it, but it really is. It's great. You know? You just sit there. My wife and I were like, wow, we made her, you know, it's, 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 it is, it's wild. It really is. Uh, and plus she's a great kid because she's like us. She sleeps. So <laughs> see, <laughs> can't complain. See you now you got off easy on that one. My friend, one thing I want to say, like everyone knows I'm a terrible person. In fact, before we started recording, I was just telling you about how I actively <laughs> shun my neighbors Yep, <laughs> for their own good. It's for their own good, but I actively shun my neighbors. And so I feel, though, that I've reached a good place because each one of my kids as I've had them has like, I don't know, I feel like they change, like they make you a better person because they're around. Like You don't have a choice. You just get sucked into that. Have you felt any of that? Like, do you feel different now that you're a dad? I, I don't necessarily feel different, but people tell me I look different. You know, like I walk in with the other day on a Tuesday and um, she's like, how's it going, dad? And I was like, pretty good. And she's like. And it's just something different about you. You just look different. And I said, well, yeah, I guess babies will do that to you. 
Chris, you know what it is? He's got bags under his eyes, and they just don't want to tell him. <laughs> right, you look like shit. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so speak. Th- that's a great note to leave on. Looking like shit. We move on to the Patriots and training camp. Who surprisingly? Oh, now that's 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 ah, that's, ah, that's just good. <laughs> that's just good podcasting right there. Um, we move on to talking about the New England Patriots. The theme of the night is the highs and the lows through one week of NFL training camp. I mean, at the top of the show, we were talking about this idea that fans might conflate some battles that really weren't battles, or they might like. It's hard for the average fan to know what to care about when training camp rolls around because everybody there's a million things going on and some of them are like some of them there's some I don't know what you want to call it interconnectivity and some of them are isolated performances that you're watching and things that a player does you're watching for health if we're talking about the Patriots and something that maybe that uh, like some some facet of Patriots camp that Patriots fans have been conflating is it fair to say it's probably this quote-unquote quarterback battle (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and let you're right. Like, there's a million things going on in training camp, especially like the first three to four practices where they're just installing stuff and just, you know, one day the defense looks good and then one day the offense looks good. And then you got a couple of days in a row where the defense looks really good and the offense can't get out of their own way. And now we're on the other side of that where the offense for two days in a row is taken to the defense and the, and the defense is getting frustrated. So, yeah, um, you know, Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi, you know, Zappi got some first team reps yesterday. Um, but for the majority of the camp, it's been Mac Jones. You know, he's been with the ones, you know, he's been with the ones, whether it's in live action, seven on sevens, 11 on 11s or off on the side in the practice field with the starters. Um, so that's definitely um, the biggest thing. And look, it's August, you know, people, need something to talk about. So nothing better than a potential quarterback controversy. It it did strike me as funny. I struck a nerve with an angry Patriots fan on Twitter the other day because I pointed out the fact that I go, he was just being a dick. And like <laughs> I usually do, he wasn't doing it to me. He was doing it to somebody we knew, and I usually just come off the top rope when no one's looking. And I'm just like, well, here's the thing. I go, that's funny from a Patriots fan who's the, you guys are the only team in the AFC East who doesn't know who your week one quarterback is. I go, that's like a guy. I was like, that's like a guy who shows up at the prom with no date and then wants to heckle the people running for King and Queen of the prom. Like that's who you guys are. So you shut your mouth when you talk about my football team. And it, it turned into an ugly thing, which I mean, that's my social media usage. That's just what I do with it. I'll burn that thing to the ground one of these days. But what I liked about it was that you could see a little insecurity in this guy, the way he would like the, the veracity, like the ferocity of his response. I was like, I struck a nerve. There it is. Oh yeah. There is a part of the Patriots fan base who genuinely believes that this might be up for grabs. I just want to say this. Even if Bill Belichick hates Mac Jones, he's not going to bench him. Like right. Bailey Zappi will not be starting week one for the Patriots. Barry, like something crazy would have to happen. And, and it's just absolutely and it's just funny watching this all play out and just watching the way this goes, the way fans, the way the local media talks. So with that, and a lot of this is media driven, but the highs and the lows through a couple of weeks. First of all, I've been again, I hate Reed, like the, especially the Patriots, the Patriots forever. I've been I always joke with Mark Schofield. I have an SB Nation like handle and I am a mainstay in the Pat's pulpit message boards. I dare somebody <laughs> to try to find me. But I just go in there and cause trouble. I say things that are inflammatory. <laughs> just I start I start arguments and then I leave. 
Like it's just it's it's bad form. Throwing throwing throw the woad bombs and then just taking off. Yeah, nice. Yes, <laughs> it's it's hilarious. I love doing it. But so as I'm over at pantspulpit.com, there's Brian Hines is talking about how on Monday. Your punter, Bryce Berenger, this is a quote. Punter Bryce Berenger might have been the best player on the f- the entire field today. Oh, uh, God, yeah. And I go, first of all, I just wanted to take a minute and roll around in that, like a dog that found something terrible in the yard. Uh, <laughs> what is the, if I wanted to ask you from everything you've read, everything you're hearing on the radio, as you're consuming all your local stuff, what does it seem like is happening with the overall talent level of the team? Like when I hear something like that, I think to myself, it doesn't sound like anyone's really stepped up and made themselves a star in this camp yet. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's accurate. Um, you know, I, I would say that that I don't want to say necessarily players have surprised, but um, you see the talent in Christian Gonzalez at corner. Um, you see the speed and agility from six-round draft pick to Mario Douglas. Um, you see Juju Smith working primarily out of the slot as a big, big target and saying, okay, you're looking and you're saying, I, I see what, what, what you know, the scouts, I see what Belichick saw on these guys. We're going to see how – we're starting to get to see how they use them. Um, I don't necessarily know that anybody's jumped out and popped and starred. I mean – it, it, because everybody, like I said, you know, they're installing stuff. And, you know, I've always been a firm believer of the coaching staff coming and saying, okay, day two, we're going to work on this. So the offense isn't going to look that good because the defense is going to be doing this. And the defense yep. is going to kind of let the offense do this and then vice versa. So I don't necessarily see people pop until, you know, like the, the preseason games, although it is kind of funny now with three preseason games, I don't necessarily know what game is the game where the starters play the longest. Like it always used to be that third preseason game where you would get the full half and then they would come up for like a series in the second half and that would be it. Um, I don't necessarily know how that's going to play out. Like that's, that's vacillated because it's only been a couple of years. So, um, well, not only, yeah, that, not, really only it, not only has it only been a couple of years, but now with the new cut down rules, that's oh, the game. Right. Like now that you're Great doing point. all your cuts on the same day, that's yeah. a thing where if the team has any questions about depth, they want one more game to view everybody under a microscope. So the the narrative might flip and you might see starters play more. We, you know, play a series or two week one, play more week two, and then give all of the depth guys that last game to just duke it out. Like the fourth preseason game used to be. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah can see that sure chris remember the time we uh brought in one of the uh we brought in that one quarterback what's his name i want to say sims and he's th- not sims threw um, it backwards the threw, backwards threw a backward pass yeah, it was sims it was sims we signed him <laughs> and he literally threw a backwards pass it's like what the fuck that chris game sims? is just that game is a mess was it chris sims no no his brother uh, I think so. Matt Sims? Yes, Matt Sims. <laughs> we signed him off Matt the street like five days before the game. Because we were like, fuck it. We don't care. We just want to see these scrubs play so we can right. figure out who we're right. going to cut. And that guy wound up, hauled back like he was going to throw a moon ball, and it went backwards. <laughs> it's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen like happen in a football game. And I've seen a lot of stupidity. I mean, I, I lived the drought. I've seen a lot of stupidity. So then I think about, like, if we're talking about other lows for training camp for the Patriots, the offensive line depth, it seems like it's gotten exposed a little bit due to unavailability. 
like you know you, some of your biggest names have been on the sidelines or been working with trainers or off to the side and so in the group 11 11 sessions they're putting the depth out there and the early returns through one week have not been good and that has yeah. to have you a little concerned right yeah i mean um you know there, there's the saying that now instead of a hold up that's a hold in you know where players are there mm-hmm. but you know they're really not participating they're down court on on where, where the lower fields are in Gillette and and two guys that have been predominantly doing that have been Matthew Judon and Trent Brown um Judon in the sense that you know they the deal that he has has been widely rumored that you know he got a good deal two years ago but for now he's underpaid two years later and he should get a little bit more money um and Trent Brown was sort of uh, under the impression that he was going to play right tackle and then they stuck him at left tackle while well, left tackles get more money. So the theory there is that he wants to get more money. Add to that, you got Michael Wendell, that's on Pup. So you got, you know, guys in there like Connor McDermott with the starting rep. Oh, we remember him. From the starting online. <laughs> Mills oh, fans yeah. remember um, Connor McDermott. Uh, so, I mean, and it is pretty scary. Like, you know, you got a guy like Bill Murray who was a defensive player and offensive player in there. Wait, Bill Murray? Taking snaps. Wait, Bill yeah, Murray? Bill Murray, are you? He plays for the Patriots? The, oh, yeah, the Bill Murray. That's how bad it is up here right now. <laughs> Chris, Chris, listen, ground, like Groundhog Day. Like, all I can picture is, like, <laughs> exactly. with that name, he better be funny. Like, he better oh, at least yeah. be funny in the locker room. <laughs> yeah, I would hope so. Like, what um, I see is, like, yeah, when, I, been... when, I, when I hear reports that Riley Reef isn't oh, yeah. looking good in pass protection, and I guess, like, he was the plan. He's the reason he you was. Guys he, oh yeah, no, he was the plan. Right now, McDermott is, is BMO. Oh yeah, <laughs> and that's not good. The fact that the, the, one of these prize free agents is brought in because again, the Patriots didn't spend a ton of cash in free agency, but the guys that they did target were targeted right. for a reason. This was a guy that you brought in to kind of stabilize right tackle so you could slide Trent around to left, and all of a sudden he's hem- he's like giving up snaps, and the Bills are dealing with some of this. They're giving up snaps to a backup, and you say to yourself, "What are we doing here? What? Uh oh." <laughs> yeah, it's it's not promising. Oh yeah, and I mean, look, and and it, no, and it look, it comes back again. It comes back to the draft here. Like, I mean, you literally, you know, could have you know fallen out of bed and got a tackle in this in this year's draft, and they didn't. I mean, and somebody made the. The, uh, the comparison of they literally fell out of a boat and didn't hit the water. Like, how could they possibly miss drafting a tackle this year? But, but, you know, Bill went ahead and drafted a bunch of, you know, guards and, and, and centers in the mid rounds and didn't address tackle. So you end up with the Riley Reese of the world and you end up with, you know, recirculating, recycling Connor McDermott and you end up with a guy that used to be a defensive Bill Murray and now is back and now, and now is on offense. Um, so yeah, it's it doesn't look good right now. I mean, we're you know eight days into camp. Um, you know, I'm not raising the red flag yet. Like I think once the regular season starts, this will all be sorted out and the people will be in their proper places. But um, look for the strides that the offense has made so far under Bill O'Brien in this camp. Um, if Mac isn't getting protected, we've seen it. Like Mac needs pieces and he needs that offensive line to be perfect around him this is not a guy that's making plays with his legs no this is not a guy that that, that that can improvise this is a guy that needs to have a solid pocket in front of him and needs to have his guys you know it needs to needs to have time to get his guys the ball and i think that if we're before we move on if we're talking about lowe's 
The last thing that I want to mention is just the names, right? The name players, the Mike Sikis, Kendrick Bournes, the guys, yeah. you know, Marcus Jones, guys who have established themselves to a certain degree in the NFL. Uh, Tyquan Thornton, mm-hmm. a second-round draft pick from two years ago or a year ago. These are guys who are not impressing any of the Patriots' local journalists. There's not a lot of fans of these guys. Everybody seems pretty down on them early in camp. That's generally a bad sign. When the guys who are the most highly regarded in terms of the way your rosters, like like I said, if you go to our lads and you just look at the way a roster is shaped, and you look at it and you say, wait a minute, you mean that there's multiple starters, or you know, Mike Kosicki, your tight end too, guys, like, but he's going to play a lot from the slot, so really he's kind of a wide receiver. You're seeing these players who are supposed to play somewhat prominent roles for the team, who people are panning their performance for the first entire week. That has to give you as a fan a little bit of concern, correct? It does, especially with a guy like Thornton that they need to hit on. Um, Now, the first week, not so much. But the past couple of days, he's looked a little bit better with the ones. But I hear you on that. Like, that's that was definitely definitely the narrative of the first week of camp. Gesicki's still kind of MIA. Um, Haven't read too much about him. Haven't. You know, haven't really uh, seen, oh, Gino, he made a great catch or he popped. It was like maybe the first day there was some, you know, uh, reporting about that and some of the stuff that I read. But since then, really nothing. And then, like, on the defensive side of the ball, like, you see, like, oh, Keon White that they drafted, you know, looks good. Mm -hmm. Except he got the better of Connor McDermott on a couple of reps. And then, (laughs) you're like, Christian Barmore looks awesome, except... He smoked Bill Murray at yeah. So it's like, we don't know. You don't know what to make of it, who they were going up against. Um, so, but for me, like, look, this is, this gets back to it being an offensive league. You need to score points. You know, Nick Saban said it a long time ago. You can't play defense anymore. You, you know, can this team get in a shootout? You know, can this team be down 28 to 14 in the fourth quarter and come back and win? They have, haven't shown it shown it in the past two years, and I don't see with the, with the, with the way that the roster is constructed now that they'll be able to do that. I think this is a team that needs to go out there and get a lead, and they need to go up on a team, and then they need to play one way. Um, I just don't see this as a team that's going to be able to get in a shootout with a lot of people. So getting back to your original point, it is worrisome about the guys like Dorn, about the guys like Kosicki, especially if they're going to be a too tight and offense, which – the way that uh, Bill O'Brien is so far has just run this camp is that it looks like it's going to be heavily Hunter Henry and, and Mike Gusecki. And, um, and that's where I want to end this. Like, if we're going to end anywhere, I don't want to just come on here and drag you about your team. If there's a high note to be had, it's that the Patriots are finally running an NFL caliber offense. <laughs> like you guys, after last season's disaster yeah. with the dickhead with the pencil shoved behind his ear, <laughs> Patricia. Also, like Chris, yeah. I think Chris is the first person to point it out, and I'm sure he took it on. He saw it online somewhere, but he was the first person to say it to me. Chris was the one who pointed out. He goes, "You know that guy has a pencil behind his ear, but that that sheet's laminated." It's like, no, he's correct. What the (laughs) fuck? What are we doing? So, all right. Yeah. Like like that moment, I realized that guy's an idiot. Like, like what's that quote from Back to the Future? He's an idiot. It comes from upbringing. His parents are probably idiots, too. (laughs) That's the guy that I think of now. I think of the Matt Patricia's of the world. So with that said, you guys are finally running mesh concepts in the red zone. And that alone tells me that this is an offense that is going to try to operate like everyone else does. Um, absolutely. This this year compared to last year, night and day. Last year in camp, they would run the same play like six times in a row. <laughs> and then and then they would 
flip on, they would flip, flip the side of the field and run another play six times in a row. And then the end of the season, there was a piece in the Boston Herald by uh, local reporter Karen Garigian who sort of detailed the dysfunction. And one of the one of the details in there was that it, it all started in a minicamp where offensive players were coming up to Patricia and company and saying, all right, if we do this and we line up this way and the defense comes out in that, what do we do? And the response was, uh, well, we'll get to that when we need to. <laughs> so imagine, imagine that happening in like last May. You know what I mean? Like, and you're a player. And you're like, oh, my God, they don't know. Oh, we don't they have can't a plan. tell me because they don't have an answer. They go, listen, the right. plan is super um, secret. I can't tell day. you about it. And you go, oh, wait a minute. Oh, there is no <laughs> yeah, plan. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you in November when we're way out of the playoff race. It's like, <laughs> it's just, it, was a, it was a mess. But this, is, this has been from Jump Street going all the way back to, to, to spring camps. It has looked like an NFL offense. It's a professional offense, the way that it's supposed to look like, getting in and out of the huddle quick, motions, Everything just it looks like an NFL offense. And Billy O, surprisingly, who used to be very vocal when he was there from 07 to 11, um, has it maybe he like blows up in the meeting rooms, but he's sort of the guy that's been on the sideline with the sheet, sitting back, arms folded, and then let the plays run the play. Matt comes back to him, they chat a little. So I think they're doing a lot of behind the scenes, like you know, cleaning stuff up, but <laughs> it looks so much better. Um, look, that was the worst offense of the Bill Belichick era last year. Without question, and I'm going all the way back to even 2000 in his first year when he had Drew Bledsoe. I feel um, like if, if it, Tom it Brady, if your team had tried to roll out what you were doing on offense last year schematically under Tom Brady, Tom Brady would have murdered the offensive coordinator and just started wearing his skin as a mask, and oh, like oh, it yeah. would have been like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre Leatherface kind of a thing, and just been like, "Listen, I'm calling the shots now. I'm Matt Patricia now." Oh. Like he would not have accepted oh, yeah. that. Oh, no, it'd be totally would be I'm the captain now. Yeah, go sit over there. Like, absolutely. He wouldn't have it would have just just wouldn't have happened. Um, so that's exciting. Like, I get to see an NFL office this year. Hooray. Like, you know, that's great. Um, problem is that talent wise, you're clearly fourth in the division. So I don't know where that leaves you. <laughs> uh, well, Christian, we always like hearing that. Like, it's always good. It just makes me it warms my cold black heart, I guess, as we let you go. <laughs> Where can people follow you on social media? Because uh, guys, throughout the course of the season, interacting with Christian is a lot of fun. He's he's a good dude. He likes. He's always tweeting about his team or retweeting things. Having you as a follow on Twitter keeps me helps keep me informed about the Patriots. The stuff you retweet, the stuff you like, the stuff you do. It then turns me on to more narratives that I turn into podcast fodder. I love it. I think you can help our listeners. Where can people find you on social media? So it's at Chris with a T-I-A-N on Twitter. Um, give me a follow. I'll give you a follow back. And yeah, I got me and my, my Bills followers during the season. They, they chime right in. We have a good time. It's, it's a blast on there. Um, you know, I mean, I, I can't be obnoxious anymore. You know, I tweeted a couple of weeks ago where I was out with my wife and I got razzed. I literally got put in my place by a bunch of little punk Dolphins fans where they were going, fins up, fins up. And I turned to my wife and I said... I turned to my wife and I go, I can't even say anything anymore. And they all just started laughing and they came over and like fist bumped me. Like, I, I can't, I have nothing to say because we suck. So <laughs> have at it, folks. And so with that, guys, we close out our AFC's roundup with a guy we haven't spoken to in quite a long time. You know, one of my favorite guests on this podcast, if for, no, for no other reason than he drives some of you absolutely fucking insane. And I don't know why. I love him. You love him sometimes, Mr. Elf Artiaga from Three Yards Per Carry. Elf, how you doing today? 
doing great. How the hell do I drive anybody insane? Uh, there's a really? there's a lunatic in Canada named Pat Cleary who, for some reason, like the, the mention of your name, he, st- he starts foaming at the mouth. Uh, I, I don't know what you do to these people, Elf. I really don't. <laughs> well, imagine when the Dolphins actually overtake the Bills in, in the division. Then these people, you know, I might need security then, right? No. Or I might just need to, you know, carry a gun like I, like I do right now. Well, well, I think so, it's Elf's tone. Well, it's, it's your it's tone. Your tone. <laughs> the way- I'm sarcastic, you think? Yeah, it's your tone. I can see how the tone of your voice rubs people the wrong way. See, see now, Elf, here, here, here's the thing, though, the thing that's going to help you in this. Like, it's a positive thing for you, is that that's not going to happen until Chris and I are the same age as Marv Levy. Like, he just turned 98 today. You, We won't have to worry about that. And since you're so much older than us, you'll obviously be dead by then. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> or maybe I just, you know, I'll be, you know. I'm kind of preserving myself in alcohol, so maybe I'll I'll last much much longer than everybody else. I think that might be the secret, to be honest. Like I think it's all these guys who start doing push ups and running and eating all these greens and everything else, and and then they drop dead at the age of like seventy nine. And everyone yeah, goes, like when oh. I'm puffing on a cigar and and I hear somebody say, you know, what you're doing is, you know, you're killing yourself, like you're destroying your lungs. I look at it differently. I look at it as if I'm giving my lungs a workout. Like, you know, they're getting they're getting strengthened by actually absorbing this smoke and trying to expel it. It's like the cheers logic. You know, the alcohol kills brain cells. But realistically, if you think about survival of the fittest, it would just be killing off the weakest ones, which means you actually get smarter the more you drink. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's true. Like, that's a fact. Like, there's no there's no ifs, ands or buts about that. I will say this. I don't know about smarter, but Chris, how many people do you enjoy? How many stone sober teetotalers? I can probably count. It would take me two hands. There are some people who aren't boozers who I genuinely enjoy hanging out with. But it's lopsided, to say the least, right? Yeah, I wouldn't. If you don't. Uh, I've, if there's somebody in my life that doesn't drink, it's. Why don't you like to have fun? <laughs> There's always that one guy, and you see them all the time, right? You're you're at a function or whatever, and you're having a good time, and there he is. And he wants to start conversation, and he's holding a bottle of water. And you know what? And again, I don't knock it, but here's what I'll say. It's the it's the judgmental sober person. That's the guy I can't be friends with. It's like, I can't talk to you. They're like, oh, you're, gonna have a, you're really going to have a third beer? And I'm like, third? <laughs> Sir, I don't know if you missed the other three. Where have you been? <laughs> Uh, and it, so we're here talking about the Miami Dolphins and the training camp and the highs and lows that come along with it, because I think that what happens and we kind of talked about it a little bit at the top of the show, there's this idea that every fan base, not just the Bills fan base. I mean, I know that we can be pretty up and down. We can be, be fairly volatile. Dolphins fans aren't much different. I mean, you guys routinely get amped up right up until football starts and then eat each other alive as a fan base. It, it's just it's interesting to watch unfold. And so throughout the course of training camp, it's not just about the highs and lows, but then there's, you also have to question, like, what is it that we're supposed to be paying attention to if we're actually because you, know, you could talk about training camp battles. But are those battles really battles? In some cases, they're not like I, I razz some Patriots fans about how there's a quarterback competition going on with Zappy and Jones. Realistically, that's not like that's not reality, but I can say it and it'll upset people. But there's some people who genuinely believe that that's happening. 
it's it's like you're going to upset yourself if you don't know where to put your eyes and you can't have, uh, apply the right context to things. So first of all, when it comes to Dolphins training camp, realistically on the whole, what is it that you guys are hoping to get out of this? Like, what are if there's two position battles you think are going to be highlighted this summer for you guys, what would you say they are? Well, it's looking like left guard and possibly right tackle as as it's been the last couple of years. It's going to be vo- a little bit of uh, kind of volatile. Um, they have as many as three guys going for that left guard spot. Not that Liam Eikenberg has lost first team reps yet. But you could kind of see it on the horizon. And at right tackle, uh, Austin Jackson is the first team guy. But, you know, and he made sure to remind us all today that he's only 23 years old. And he looks like a million bucks because he's slimmer. And he he looks like a great athlete. He's 6'6", 320 pounds. And you don't know where the 320 pounds look are, are because he looks like a tight end. Okay? And he moves really well. But Kendall Lamb has really come on as, like, the swing tackle and he keeps having moments in the in, in this camp, so maybe that position will be up up for grabs as well. the The position group that gives Dolphin fans a lot of optimism is that secondary, because when they drafted Cam Smith, you you were on Twitter, you saw <laughs> Dolphin fans lose their their collective <laughs> minds. Why are they drafting Cam Smith? So how many cornerbacks do they need? Like, these people are idiots. Fire Chris Greer. Well, it turns out Chris Greer was pretty smart after all, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're having a pretty damn good camp. Of all people that you would have thought could have been taking first-team reps, nobody had Noah Benogany being a Vic Fangio favorite. <laughs> but no. there he is, playing a lot of zone. Dolphins playing a lot of zone, by the way. Now. Mm-hmm. And then Cam Smith is having a monster camp. And then, you know... Nick Needham is still on the way. He, I don't think he'll be ready for the, the season opener. I think he's like a, a guy that you're waiting for in the first month of the season. But you still have Cater Kohu. You have a healthy Xavier Howard. And the secondary, you know, all the safeties, Deshaun Elliott, Javon Holland, like the team is really deep in the secondary. And that's that's what gives the Dolphin fans a lot of hope is that they take their biggest injury that they could take on the defense. And, you know, they could, they could fade it. It's... You know, it's ho-hum until they get him back in November or December. Well, and that's like the Buffalo Bills not having Von Miller. It's like, well, the team made a move to go out and address that. So now you look at the depth chart and you go, on an, in an average season, if you weren't a Bills Super Bowl team and you were trying to go out there and compete, you could do a lot worse than the DN rotation we currently have. And oh, by the way, eventually at some point, we're going to get this guy who we know is a monster talent and a proven commodity back on the field. So it's you feel better about it because of the way your team's constructed. Now, in terms of the highs and the lows you guys have experienced so far in the first week of NFL training camp, we already know what the low is. It was probably one of the biggest punches in the dick I've seen anybody take, where you, everyone was excited. They go in a Vic, Vic Fangio defense. We can't wait to see Jalen Ramsey in this. It's going to be a, a they're going to be a match made in heaven stylistically. The way they like to play, the way he likes to play call. And then you watch him go out. I think it was day two. And it's like, they, they, I don't think I'm being like, I'm out of line and saying that has to be the low point when you watch a star player at any position leave the field. Now, as you just said, they have options. So the blow is sort of muted a little bit. What else have you seen that you've been concerned about or that has you kind of like just with a feeling of disappointment when you see the way that a certain facet of this camp so far has played out? 
Oh, well, our tight end group is like non-existent. Like there's nothing there. It's just a bunch of blockers. And if they catch anything, uh, I guess you could get excited about that. But it's not that they're that they're a bad group. It's that it's kind of one dimensional. It's uh, it's all a bunch of inline blocking tight ends. There is no wide move guy uh, in that entire group. Uh, just today, there was a, pr- a pretty highlight worthy play where Tuatunga Valoa on an RPO threw a no look pass over the middle for like 15 yards down the field, and it hit Saubert, Eric Saubert, in both hands, and he just dropped it. So he ruined the great, the ah. great highlight that could have been. It was one of those where you know, because we have fans out there, and it was one of those like whoa, because everybody saw Tua look one way and then throw it another without looking. And then it hits the guy in both hands, and he drops it. So I would say I, I was onto this last year when I told everybody, "Look, man, Mike Kosecki is not going to catch the balls you think he's going to catch. Mm-hmm. This offense is all about Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle." Well, I'm going to I'm here to tell you again. Yeah, it's all about Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and a collection of third wide receivers that they have on this team, whether it's Braxton Berrios, Robbie Chosen. Or the emerging uh, Ezukama, Eric Ezukama, who got injured, by the way, today. But uh, we shall know more about him tomorrow morning. See, that's the frustrating thing when I look at your depth chart and I go, we're doing this Braxton Berrios thing again, huh? Like, some NFL team somewhere is doing the Braxton Berrios thing. How old is this guy? Like, I'm going to pull this up. He's got to be, let's see, Braxton Berrios, 5'9", 185. It doesn't give his birthday, 1995. So he's not, it's not like he's ancient, right? But he's also a guy who flirted with high-level production and yet still hasn't given any team that as a slot receiver. It almost, Chris, almost gives you Isaiah McKenzie vibes. Like, hey, I can do some special teams things really well that make you think that, hey, he could be more if we could use him offensively. And then you try to use him offensively and it just never materializes. Like, I hope, I mean, I guess I I should say, I do hope that you guys dabble in those waters because it really doesn't work. But I feel bad for you having to watch that play out. Um, When I look at this and you're talking about the tight end group, that's something that the Patriots have been dealing with for years. And it seems like you guys kind of went the same route. I'm surprised knowing what the rushing attack was when your head coach was in San Francisco. Like, knowing what a a move tight end can do for you and knowing some of the things that he's done in the past, scheme-wise, to, especially with running backs with speed and the fact that you guys just drafted a Shane, I'm just very surprised to see that this is the group they brought to camp because there are no lateral athletes in that group. And there are no high-level like separators down the field. There's nobody, you know, Saubert's going to be that guy who is going to be on the field unless somebody else has it. Like, this almost goes back to the draft, and I was shocked to watch you guys keep passing up Darnell Washington. Are you now, like, at the time, were you upset about that? At the time, I was wondering if they had the same medicals that some teams had mm-hmm. on Darnell Washington because some teams absolutely had him off their boards. Uh, it turns out the Dolphins did not have him off of their board. But it turns out that there was one tight end that they were kind of hot after, and he just got taken, and that was Sam LaPorta. Uh, he got taken before it got to them, and then they had Cam Smith as the top guy on their board, and they just went with the top guy on their board. And Chris Greer's known – uh, to say this, and he repeats it every single year when he drafts. He says, look, well, you know, well, I'll draft for need, 
if he's a guy that's way up on my board. But I won't take the second or third guy on my board with my top pick if I have a guy that I have rated overall uh, higher overall. So, you know. It makes sense. You know, and so I I think it made perfect sense that he went went out and got a cornerback because I was thinking, you know what? Xavier Howard is getting up there in age. He's probably not going to be here in two years. So Nick Needham's coming off an injury. Makes sense to try to, you know, boost that that secondary. Turns out that it was a good move because they're actually going to use Cam Smith more. And he's looked good in camp. Now, and I guess that's it. So if you're talking about the high points, like you've done a good job of weaving them in here into the questions. Because, again, you're a fucking professional. That's why I love you. I don't need to prep you. We just show up. We talk a little shit. And you give me everything I'm looking for. You are one of the most, like, you are one of the perfect guests out of all the guests we have on here. I love doing this stuff with you. I've missed you, brother. (laughs) Uh, So the fact that you guys have Tyler Croft on the roster is funny to me. And it's funny to me because we all saw what he was. He was washed. And then he went to a couple other teams, and they all saw what he was, and he was washed. And then when I saw you guys bring him in, I was like, there's the indictment of the tight end room right there. The fact that he's there, and then I hear today he's causing false starts. <laughs> he's, there's, like, it's just, it's not going to be good. Are, what are some of the positions that you look at as a Dolphins fan, and you say to yourself, this needs to improve in week two of camp? Well, uh, as far as Tyler Croft, uh, he's so buried in the depth chart. I don't think he's going to make the team. They only have one tight end, I think, and that's uh, Higgins, Elijah Higgins, that has some promise as a downfield threat. Um, he has some speed. He has some receiving chops, but he's a rookie. Yeah. So that's a guy that's, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a guy you stash and, and you see if you could bring him along and maybe he gives you something week four and then he'll disappear for four or five weeks and then, we spring him on somebody in week eight, you know. When you play a team with slow linebackers. Like, yeah. like, not going to lie, when you play a team like the Ravens, who decided to bring, like, Patrick Queen's still there, who's terrible in coverage. That's a team where you look at that and go, oh, if I have to play a team with a linebacking core that's just not fluid athletes, we could spring a Higgins on him. <laughs> Hit him with that surprise. And maybe exploit that weakness. Because the safeties are going to be too scared to come down in the box because of the speed at wide receiver. So that makes some sense. Yeah, so this, uh, you know, the tight end group is just going to be Durham Smythe and Eric Saubert, and you know, you know, watch them block all year. That's what they're going to do. Um, if there was one unit that I'm looking at, I'm looking at those defensive ends, and I understand that, that Vic Fangio's already said, "Look, we have more than enough," and he keeps repeating, "Look, when you have Wilkins, and who am I to argue with Vic Fangio?" But when Vic Fangio comes out and he says, "Look, we have Wilkins, we have Sealer, we have Raquan Davis, and we have Emmanuel Ogba," and that's enough for what I need them to do. And mm-hmm. when you watch the defense and they play with two guys standing up and they got Chubb and they got Jalen Phillips and they still have Malik Reed out there and they have Andrew Van Ginkle, then you start to see the, you know, what he's trying to get to. But I'd like I still like to see another zero, a nose tackle behind Raquan Davis because we had a guy last year in John Jenkins that was a contributor, especially against the run. Dolphins were really good against the run last year. So I I want another zero I think they will bring in a guy. I think that that's, that's a position where, and I explained this before, where it could be Charger Week, and it could be Tuesday of Charger Week, and all of a sudden you hear, oh, look, Akeem, Akeem Hicks just signed with the Dolphins on a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, 6'3", 340-pound guys don't want to be there for camp. Yep. <laughs> it's as simple as that. No, so I think they need the, something like that. Well, and the boost. importance 
like Chris, the, the, importance, line. the importance of that stuff. Like, think about all the juice Puna Ford's been getting lately. Like, they knew, we know that when Daquan Jones isn't on the field, you saw that Bengals game. Our D line shriveled. They said we need another true one tech. And they went out and got Puna Ford, who has been described as basically a manhole cover in the sense that they were like, he's just low to the ground, he's dense, he's heavy, but he's also fast. And so trying to get as an offensive lineman who's six foot three, six foot four, trying to get your hands on a six foot one, three hundred and thirty pound guy. It's like trying to flip over a manhole lid with your bare hands. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Like I, I go back to what Jason Jenk, uh, I mean, Jason Jenkins, rest in peace. John Jenkins. What John Jenkins uh, told us last year when, when he was asked, you know, this is, you, you keep sticking around and you keep playing nose tackle. Uh, what makes you so adept at playing nose tackle? He says, I push people around and I'm hard to push around. <laughs> it's a, so it's the simplicity, right? Like yeah. it's the simplicity yeah. and that's about as easy as it is. Well, where can everybody, cause myself, I hate listen. I hate watch. I hate read. Where can everybody who's a bills fan who wants to keep up on what's going on, the ins and outs and the intricacies of dolphins training camp and the, you know, cause I'm, I'm assuming you guys are back now, right? You, you let the B squad, you know, you let them have their yeah, time this right. summer. Yeah, you but, take, yeah, there and we I'm go. doing, I'm doing daily, uh, I'm doing daily camp reports on, on our My three man. yards per carry feed. So there's plenty of, plenty of content on there. So where can people okay. find it and where can they find all of the, all of the stuff over at five reasons sports? Well, we're the number three yards per carry, uh, the number three yards per carry. You can find us on Twitter at three yards per carry, the number, and you can find our podcast anywhere. You get your podcast. Also the number three yards per carry. Alfartiaga, Christian Simonelli, Scott Mason. I've used it before. We got to use it again because he had his own doc last week. Triple threat. <laughs> I love how Bam Bam Bigelow had a Dark Side of the Ring doc that aired last week. It was wait, real did good. He? Oh yeah, it was good. See, I see now. I've got to see. You got to watch that. I'm, I'm going to. But here's what I want to tell the listeners. I don't know if they guys. For those of you who don't go to YouTube and watch the podcasts. You don't get to see what I see. Chris, when he gets to do this, where he's thinking of a wrestling like trio or tandem or whatever we have for the week, he gets this shit-eating grin on his face. Like he's thinking, 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 and all of a sudden he smiles and I go, whatever comes out of his mouth next is going to be fucking horrible. It's just going to upset me. But Bam Bam Bigelow. So I got into an argument with a coworker, I think I referenced this on a previous podcast with Anthony Prohaska that we did, or actually it was an after dark that we did where I got into it with them about the fact that they basically shit all over nineties wrestling, which is what got me into wrestling. Like, I mean, I, I came in as a little kid, but I was 85 when I was born. It was the best era. It made the most money. So late eighties into the early nineties, that's when wrestling was the best, right? Correct. This guy's arguing with me that it was better before and after, but that the 90s wasn't as it was overrated. And he said all they did was rebrand old skill sets in new packages. And he called because of the flying headbutt and some of the other stuff. He called uh, Bam Bam Bigelow a white cocoa beware. He goes, but they couldn't give a fat guy a bird because he'd look too much like a pirate. And I was like, oh, my God. I, I, I Everybody steals <laughs> Everybody steals from everyone. Nature boy Ric Flair, icon in the industry. Where did he get that name from? Nature <sighs> boy Buddy Rogers. Yep. 
Everybody takes from the past nowadays. People are people are complaining about uh, L.A. Knight. He he sounds like The Rock. We can't change his voice. That's how he sounds. <laughs> his mannerisms are like Stone Cold. He's got catchphrases like Stone Cold because Stone Cold had what, and L.A. Knight has yeah. It's, everybody steals from everything. That's how wrestling works. That's how that's how it gets over. That's also kind of how podcasting works, if you think about it. Yeah. Like, everybody borrows things from other people that they go, well, that worked for them. I'll do the same thing. I haven't... Why do you think podcasting is so saturated right now? I haven't seen anybody take our bit of alcoholism. <laughs> I was um, about to say, you know who's the hardest to crib off of? Is us. Because it's... Hard. Like, it really is. Like, when you say you're a petty person, it's really hard to be as bad as we are. Um, it's as, it's really hard to not care about people or things as much as we do. Yeah. Um, it's also really difficult to drink the way we drink. Correct. Like, I, I'd like to think that if this was like Andy Anderson's out there listening to this, Andy, you're a, I believe he just upgraded belts. I think he's a blue belt now. If I'm wrong. Either way, you're feel free choked to, I was going to say, feel free to uh, squeeze a little harder on that rear naked. You're going to throw me in at a Bill's tailgate this year. But um, I feel like you, it, we are black belts when it comes to alcohol. Yes. We, we're a professional's professional. I, I, there's no other way to spin it. And that's honestly what is getting me through this training camp stuff. The fact that I can just drink and ignore a lot of it. Chris, we started off at the top of the show talking about this concept that every team has some things that like the, the idea that fans maybe conflate some narratives. Yeah. Make up some some battles in their heads. I know for a fact one thing that Dolphins fans are arguing about right now is who should be the backup quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. And you've got dickheads out there saying, well, it should Skylar Thompson deserves a shot because he led them to almost a playoff victory. Chris, can I read you his stat line? Yeah. From that almost playoff victory. Okay. When you're talking about who you want backing up a fragile quarterback, this is apparently the guy that some lunatic fringe of the Dolphins fan base wants. Uh, Skylar Thompson, 18 of 45. <laughs> 18 completions on 45 throws for 220, one touchdown, two picks, four sacks. He ran twice for three yards. That's the guy? If Tua goes down, you want to know that in a game where your defense did everything it could to try to keep you in a game, turnovers, uh, just forcing stops and punts. I mean, we still scored what? What is this? We still scored 34 points. But your defense was timely, and it got you the ball back in some instances, and there were some things that went on, and yet this guy went 18 for 45. That's fucking wild to me that you wouldn't want Mike White over that guy just by default. Yeah, it makes sense. So with that in mind, I think about some of the narratives that Bills fans have been conflating. Some of the battles that I think might have just, like now that you've watched the first week of camp, might have been in our heads, right? Or some things that we are maybe looking at a little too, like this idea of people agonizing over the cornerback rotation. 
You've got Dane Jackson, Kyrie Elam, and Christian Benford all rotating to try to be CB2 across from Trey White. Now, apparently Trey White has looked like the goods. He's back. He's yep. back. And so that means there's only one starting boundary cornerback job. They're all rotating at it, and people are frustrated. They're like, oh, well, Dane Jackson getting more reps. Just same old, same old bullshit coaching. Guys, I think you're missing the broader picture. You agonizing about this is literally shuffling deck chairs on the deck of the Titanic. It doesn't fucking matter. Because realistically, we have maybe the most outside cornerback depth of any team in the AFC East, correct? Makes sense. Who else? I mean, I'm looking right now at our lads. I'm looking at the Miami Dolphins roster. Who do they have at outside corner? They lose Jalen Ramsey. They've got Keon Crossan, who was pretty good last year as a kind of of out-of-nowhere player for the Miami Dolphins. Um, You've got Eli Apple now. Yeah, just (laughs) signed. Oh, I wish I could have asked Alpha about that. Fucking Eli Apple. That guy, he's your future, huh? Awesome. He's going to hold down the fort till Ramsey comes back in late December. Um, w- what else do you have? You've got Xavier Howard, a rookie, and Noah Igbenogany, who before this week probably was going to fall off. A, like, if if the coach didn't love him, he probably falls off a cliff and dies. What do the Jets have right now? They obviously saw us Gardner, elite talent in the NFL. DJ Reed, great Free agency pickup for the Jets. Craig James and Bryce Hall. <laughs> so if their cornerback stable takes a hit, you're, you're, what are you doing? You're fucked. You've got the... Okay, let's look at the Patriots. There you go. You pulled that up. Uh, Christian Gonzalez is a rookie, and he's starting, Chris. Not ideal. Yeah. Jonathan Jones, who apparently has been getting, as we'll talk, as we'll talk about in more detail next week, needs to have a better week in week two. Uh, Jack Jones, not great. Sean Wade, I've never heard of him before. Baltimore has had some cornerback issues, and he wasn't good enough to stick there. Like, they just lost Marcus Peters. He went to the Raiders. Baltimore was a team that needed cornerbacks, and they didn't try to retain Wade. That should tell you some things. Meanwhile, we have four good to very good options at the boundary. So all of these people bitching about, well, Kyrie Elam, you know, I want to see him win. and It's a long fucking football season, guys. It's a long season. And what's going to happen is Trey White's going to get nicked up because he's older. There's going to be a week where... I don't know. Dane Jackson gets hurt. He turns an ankle. There's going to be a week where Christian Christian Benford wins the starting job and then gets hurt in week five, and you need somebody to slot in outside of him. This is not an immediate death sentence because everybody we have is a better option than what most teams. I don't even want to. Chris, I'd be, I would be willing to say that in the entire NFL, you would be hard-pressed to find a better depth chart at outside corner than what the Bills currently have. And then you, never mind the fact that we have one of the preeminent talents in football and one of the highest paid cornerbacks in football at, in the slot. Just the outside, we are better than most teams. 
So while some of you want to focus and complain about the fact that the guy that you're backing, your player of choice, is not winning the quarterback cornerback battle or hasn't gotten snaps with the ones yet or is, is being whatever the fuck your angle is. It doesn't matter. It's a great football team. It's a great football unit on an amazing football team. So whatever happens, like you can hang your hat on that. And I think that's what bothers me so much about all of this preseason camp conversation. Am I right to be annoyed by this? Yeah, I'm annoyed. Like, what else? People go, oh, well, the D-tackle thing. D-tackles, Puna Ford. It's like I was telling Elf. Puna Ford is impressing a lot of people. He's making Brandon Bean look like a genius, isn't he? Yeah. Okay. You brought in another option to push Tim Settle. And Jordan, so, so what you've done is you've now, you've got five D tackles that on any given Sunday can be your guys. And you can put all five of them on the game day roster if you wanted to. And they're all versatile. They can do multiple things for you. Daquan Jones can give you pass rush win plus run stopping. Puna Ford just seems like in run fits. He's if you listen to the reporters, you listen to the Joe Marinos and the cover ones of the world who were at camp this week, giving you their eyes on detail of it. It's like that's a that's the kind of signing that makes your GM look like a genius. And it's also the kind of signing where you look at the rest of the depth chart and you go, as long as everyone stays healthy. I can put an Eli Anku, who they clearly trust, on the practice squad. I can put a, D- a DJ Dell on the practice squad and groom him. for. F- and now I've got long-term upside that I can continue grooming. And at the same time, I've got these guys. It's, it's a win, Chris. <coughs> and yet what I hear are fans complaining about how their guy, what Oliver, he's doing this, he's doing that, he looks amazing. Okay, good, Ed Oliver looks amazing in camp. This is the flip side of that. You get too high on a player, Ed Oliver looks fantastic. Well, you know who looks really terrible is our guards. Our guards don't look good through the first week of training camp. We talked about that earlier in our uh, week one recap podcast. If you guys want to go check that out, it's already dropped. And realistically, I think if I'm being fair, you have to kind of take your defense, all of your takes on your front seven. You have to dial them back a little bit because it all depends on the quality of your offensive line, right? Yeah. If your offensive line is having a bad camp or if you're starting to find out that some of the guys that you invested in aren't quite what you thought you were buying, then that changes the conversation about how great your defensive line is. And it's unfortunate because I'm not trying to take anything away from them. It's just that as an intelligent football fan, you should be willing to temper your expectations and not get so high on a group of people who are having a lot of success because you have to look at who they're competing against. And in that way, if anything, it makes me concerned that our defensive line is winning as decisively as it is in a lot of key moments here in camp. I, I guess with that said, Chris, what are you looking for in the coming week? Like when you're reading camp reports, what's the thing you care about? Uh, offensive line. Okay, so this so is it. Spencer Brown already injured his back. So yeah, not ideal. Not good. We talked about that. Although he was seen in the mess hall riding an electric scooter. Allegedly. 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 
I don't know. I just I, I think that defense is hard to break down in terms of training camp. It always is. Because you see teams that perform well and then you find out that it's just because they were going up against a line that was bad or a group of wide receivers that can't really separate well. You have to take everything with a grain of salt. Everything. With that said, I'm encouraged for the most part by the way this first week is gone. And I think that by comparison, hearing our friends talk, I'm still happier with the way our team is panning out because realistically... I think, if anything, we've learned that the guys that we were going to, most of the guys that we were going to depend on, have been as advertised, have shown up. The units that we thought we could rely on look like they're going to be at least what they were last year. There's there's a lot of things to feel good about, and there hasn't been any key injuries or any key regressions. I like that, and that sets us up nicely for next week. Right when we start our AFC Roundup series, where we go team by team, and we really take an in-depth look at what's going on in each training camp and each roster ahead of the preseason. Guys, this is a lot of fun. I'm happy that we dusted this series back off, and we're going to get it back going for 2023. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger, and this has been your Rock Pile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.